Hello and welcome to D-Up Podcast. This is Louis Valletta, and I know you're here for the playoffs, and so am I. I love it. We're going to get into the Houston Golden State Series as well as the other big ones. There's a lot of drama to go around. We're going to talk about Clay Thompson and his demand for a $190 million contract from the Warriors. But first, LeBron magic drama. LeBron James the other day on his HBO show, uh, where he sits around and talks with his friends, he had Lonzo Ball on. And the both of them basically stated that Magic Johnson hadn't informed them and they were upset that he hadn't. And my point in talking about it to you, the fans, because I know you'll understand this, is as good of a basketball player as LeBron is, sometimes he gets himself into trouble with his mouth. He doesn't look in the mirror at times. He doesn't even know his own history. Let's rewind backwards to Dan Gilbert and the Cleveland Cavaliers and Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. Now, a very respected ESPN analyst, Jay Williams, stated, you did the same thing twice on Twitter. On first take, Jay Williams went on to say, quote, that was the same thing we saw when LeBron did it to Dan Gilbert. When he made his decision, he didn't call Dan Gilbert and give Dan Gilbert a heads up. This is the same thing we also saw LeBron do when he made the decision to leave Miami. He had Pat Riley fly all the way out to Vegas to pitch him on it. He didn't give Pat Riley a call. What goes around comes around in the circle of life. Come on, man, you did the same thing twice. You can be mad about it, but that's the way it goes, end quote. Me and Jay Williams both share the same exact opinion on LeBron's thoughts of Magic Johnson leaving. I just don't think it holds weight. Now, excuse my allergies right now. I know my voice is raspy and I sniff sometimes. It's, a, it's all allergies, I'm, I promise you. It's not LeBron inflaming me right now. But I'm certainly upset about about the whole scenario because we've seen this happen from LeBron. LeBron is the king of disappearing acts. It doesn't even take a basketball fan to figure it out. All you gotta be is a, just a general sports fan and read the sports section for the last eight years. LeBron gets up and leaves wherever he is. He's not worried about informing people. He's worried about his own self-interest. Now, he's a great basketball player. He's probably still the best in the world at times, right? Yet, that doesn't exclude him from being a contradictory guy, which he really is. He's a 275-pound, 6'8 baby. Magic had to have had his reasons for going, yet that's going to come out. Maybe he didn't handle things as good as he could have handled things. But there's details that we're not getting. And for LeBron and Lonzo Ball, of all people, to come out and speak against Magic Johnson, one of the best human beings in the world, uh, one of the best businessmen in the world, it's just not, uh, it's, it's, it's almost sacrilegious for especially those two to say anything. In my opinion, Magic Johnson is a class act and Magic would never implicitly slander anyone. Let's see where this storyline goes. We'll see what comes out of uh, the Lakers camp. And I'm pretty sure Stephen A had said on ESPN that he vows to get down to the bottom of things to find out what really went on between Jeannie Buss, Magic Johnson, and uh, LeBron, the whole, the whole thing going on over in, in California. Now, uh, moving forward 
still in, in LA, there is rumors that LeBron wants Tom Thibodeau as a coach. Um, in a positive note, I think he would be in an amazing fit for LA. I think LA would fall in love with Tom Thibodeau. And man, does he bring defensive toughness. And for him to bring that to the LA Lakers, and let's pretend they bring in some some good talent to surround LeBron with, I think that would be a recipe for success. I think he's a way better choice than Tyron Lu, who's been rumored for the job. Moving on into the NBA playoffs, which is probably why you're here. The Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors have not disappointed. I covered the first two games on my podcast where Golden State readily handled the Houston Rockets, out-hustled them to loose balls, and out-rebounded them. You can't give the Golden State Warriors two shots at the basket. You have to limit them to one shot and one shot only. One thing stood out to me in Game 2 in Golden State, 18 offensive rebounds for the Warriors. That's not going to cut it. You have Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant on that team. You cannot give them two shots at the basket. We can can go into analytics as much as you want. You can't give that team two shots at the basket, and that's what they were doing. They were killing the Rockets on the glass and the offensive glass. Now, anytime that happens, the Warriors will win. Uh, The Houston Rockets were not as aggressive. They they weren't coming out and punching you in the mouth, whereas the Warriors were. And that effort was seen in terms of the eye test watching the game. If you watch those two games, you saw the Warriors got to it, and they got into the Rockets. Now, fast forward to these games that I have to cover now, Game 3 and Game 4. The Rockets win both of those games, and let's jump into the analytics and the stats. Game three went to overtime, was a thriller, yet seven offensive rebounds the Warriors had in that game. Big, big difference, huge difference. If the Rockets beat the Warriors to the punch and have a relatively okay shooting game, the Rockets could win. When I mean beating them to the punch, I mean P.J. Tucker and the rest of the linebacker Rockets muscling the Warriors for rebounds, muscling them and wearing them down on defense, picking them up at half court, getting into their ribs. If this Game 3 and Game 4 theme continues, the Rockets actually have a shot, and they are built to play and compete with this Warriors team. Now, I have gone on record by saying nobody's going to beat this Warriors team. Now, I couldn't have predicted... Uh, Steph getting hurt. Obviously, his 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 uh, finger is bothering him right now. Uh, so the shooting is is a little bit off. Uh, I know Harden got poked in the eye, and there's there's a bunch of excuses on on both ends. Uh, the Warriors haven't shown to be the Warriors. Maybe credit the Rockets' defense, but they're shooting a very lousy percentage right now uh, from three, and the Rockets are hoisting up way more threes than the Warriors, and they happen to be going in. Now, when the Warriors' threes start to drop, it becomes a different ball game. They become the real Warriors. So watch out for that. We haven't seen one of those crazy stretches of Curry and Thompson and Durant just knocking everything down yet. When that happens, they're basically unbeatable. 
Still in game three, talking about the rebound numbers, which I think are vital, because a lot of you guys haven't played basketball, and I feel like if you haven't played basketball, you, you're not going to get the, the stuff I'm talking about. That's why I talk about it. The rebounds aren't just a stat. See, rebounds are, are hustle and effort and aggression plays. They're basically always 50-50. If you want to get to a rebound, you're going to get to a rebound. And when you look at Game 3's numbers, Rockets grabbed 55 rebounds to the Warriors' 35 rebounds. I mean, that's a huge difference. And it is one of the indicators of effort and hustle. And like I said, with the eye test, we can see the Rockets were really out hustling the Warriors. The, it, the, the script changed in game three, which went to overtime, right? So then we get into game four, and we see the same theme carry on with itself. And the Rockets are continuing to get to 50-50 balls. They still are out rebounding the Warriors, and the shots are falling. The threes are falling. In Game 4, the Rockets limited the Warriors to only 8 offensive rebounds. A very good job by the Rockets. Whatever adjustments they made in 3 and 4 have really worked. Now, the Warriors shot 8 for 33 from 3-point land, which came out to be 24%. Uh, pretty dismal for the Warriors. Now, <clears throat> it's a 2-2 tie. Looking forward to Game 5. After I heard Draymond Green's comments in the press conference, I'm thinking there is now going to be a flare-up. This game is going to be a 90s, you know, hit him in the ribs, elbow to the jaw sort of a game. It's going to be two teams coming out knowing whoever throws the first punch and whoever hits in the mouth first is going to win. Because the Rockets have seen that because they're doing it in the last two games. And the Warriors have acknowledged they are not doing that. And Draymond coming out and saying, yeah, he's going to come out in game five and lead the Warriors in this battle royale of sorts. It's going to get very chippy. And I can't wait to see the way the refs officiate it. I can't wait to see the crowd's energy and the flare-ups between the players. Because you know these two teams don't like each other. The Rockets have some really muscular guys to push around the Warriors. And the Warriors, like I said before, are getting worn down. Maybe that's part of their, their abysmal shooting right now. Uh, I don't know what excuses to make for the Warriors, but the Rockets have now claimed the, the Houston Rocket team that they used to be getting to those loose balls like Capella last year. I remember Capella grabbing almost every offensive rebound and putting it back. I remember the Rockets just running to the glass after every missed shot and giving James Harden two shots at the rim. And that's what made the difference. They're, they're getting that team back versus the Warriors. And they're, that muscle that they're displaying, that grit, it's proving to be one of the only pockets of kryptonite that can be used to defeat the Warriors. Talking about Clay Thompson and the Warriors, he's been abysmal in my opinion, and I am kind of disappointed in his performance, yet 
I believe the, the, the offense isn't running well. They, when they're running it through Durant and the way that they're doing it, um, I don't see the passes the way that they used to be. Uh, I don't see the team ball the way it used to be. And I feel that Clay thrives in a more team system when they're when the ball's moving around the horn, you know, the the pre-Durant Warriors. That's when Clay really gets there. But right now, uh, Steph and, and Clay are taking the both the bulk of the shots. On the subject of Clay Thompson and the offseason, there's a rumor out there that Clay has said that $190 million is the figure he wants to make next year on the Warriors. He wants to play for the Warriors. If he does not get $190 million with the Warriors, that contract, if it's not there, he will leave the team. Now, no one knows if it's true. It is a rumor, but that's what sources say that he has said. Clay, if you're listening, I have a great idea for you. Uh, come to the Knicks, baby. <laughs> I want you to get your friend Kevin Durant, because we know Kevin's coming to New York. So come with your friend, hand in hand. I would welcome you with open arms. I'm biased, but the Big Apple's waiting for you, Clay. Moving on to the Raptors and the 76ers. Kawhi Leonard has done it again. After putting up 37 and 35 point games in the first round versus the Magic, then 45, 35, and 33 points in the first three games against the 76ers, he erupted again last night. That's Kawhi in game four for 39 points. Now, he's playing out of his mind, yet he is fundamentally sound, and we expect good things from Kawhi, just not this great. I mean, he he's play, he is the MVP right now, in my opinion, of the playoffs because he does it on both ends. These are not just offensive numbers that he's putting up on the defensive end. He has his hand in one out of every two or three defensive possessions. He's everywhere. He's like, he reminds it. People say he's been playing like Michael Jordan, which I think is a stretch, but certainly on the defensive end. He's been playing like Michael Jordan. Uh, the both of them share uh, fundamentally sound games, and Kawhi does it relaxed like MJ. There's no pushing, there's no forcing, there's great decision making, and I feel that uh, right now <clears throat> Kawhi's playing the best he's ever played, uh, also because of his field goal percentage on the offensive end. I, I, I think he's shooting 60% right now, either in the series or the playoffs. I have to check it but a little over 60%, which is unheard of for uh, a guy who plays the position that Kawhi plays. Joel Embiid was not himself in the Game 4 performance. Uh, Joel had an upper respiratory infection. He's questionable for Game 5. The Sixers and the Raptors were tight in Game 4, but there was a five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter where the Sixers went uh, absolutely scoreless, which probably decided the game. Butler created many shots for the Philadelphia 76ers, but those shots just didn't go down. The game's outcome might have been a little bit different if the shots did fall. I don't know who is in control of the series right now. It looks to be the Raptors, yet Joel Embiid and the Sixers might wake up in Game 5, and this might be a totally different feeling. Um, Joel, I said, is, is sick, and he is questionable for Game 5, and I feel as... Joel goes, so do the Sixers. So they'll need a healthy Embiid and an aggressive Butler. 
in my opinion, to beat the Raptors game. The Sixers have to shoot better, especially wide open shots. And uh, Tobias Harris certainly had his share of, of missing. He was two of 13 from behind the arc, and that's just not going to cut it. You have to knock down your open shots, uh, especially the ones that Butler has been creating, handling the ball. Heading into the Boston series, man, was I wrong. I will take full responsibility for calling the Boston Celtics beating the Milwaukee Bucks. Right now, it looks like the Milwaukee Bucks are a far superior team. Stronger, aggressive, and playing more cohesively as a team. I was banking on the Boston Celtics of last year co-mingling with Kyrie in a much better way. Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum are unheard of right now because of Kyrie Irving. That that team ball, that, that fight, that's, that scary Terry guy, I mean, it's all gone. Um, Tatum seems to have gone backwards and I really believed that they could coexist, especially in the playoffs when everybody is about the team. Yet Kyrie is having an abysmal series, and if your leader is having an abysmal series, you stand very low shot of winning. Uh, let's go over Kyrie, what he's doing. Game 1, 12 for 21. Game 2, 4 for 18. Game 3, 8 for 22. Game 4, 7 for 22. Uh, Kyrie is struggling to make shots, and as he goes, so do the Boston Celtics. And I hate to say it, but I was wrong. Kyrie cannot coexist with the Celtics and make them better. Uh, it's tested, and we've seen it with our own eyes. Whatever happens in the offseason is going to happen, and I don't think it includes signing Kyrie Irving. Uh, the Boston Celtics made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year without Kyrie. And as I previously mentioned, um, stellar series from Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum. Uh, two young guys who the Boston Celtics should pencil into their future. Uh, Kyrie just doesn't fit. In my opinion, he needs uh, more of a blank canvas to operate. A team where uh, they can build around him. Now... Uh, getting into the, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Adekumpo, they are just a tough, tough team. They shoot a ton of threes, and Giannis pounds you inside like almost no other player I've ever seen. The aggression he plays with is unstoppable, and if this continues, Milwaukee goes to the finals. Um, sadly, uh, I wish... My prediction was correct because I was rooting for Boston. Uh, I favored Boston because I wanted to see. Um, I, I just loved their brand of basketball last year, their coaching. And uh, I was looking for that to come out again this year, and it didn't happen. But hats off to the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, the tough team, the Bledsoe. He's playing so strong and, and, and uh, very efficient. And, and hats off to this team, Middleton and, and, and Giannis. They did a great job. So they're about to wrap up the series. It's pretty much over 3-1. to one. There's only been, I think, one team uh, in the expanded playoffs that has come back from 3-1. It was 2016, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers over the Boston Celtics, I believe. 
So I'll take the L on this one as Boston is about to go. And uh, hopefully my other predictions do come true. I need you to have a little trust in me here. Last and certainly not least, the blockbuster series that I, I love. It's my favorite series, the Trailblazers versus the Denver Nuggets. Let's start by saying Jamal Murray is an animal. He's young. He's fearless. He makes clutch shots. He makes clutch free throws. Watch out for him in the future. Man, oh, man. Nicholas Djokovic, the Joker. I don't. I can't even say his name right anymore. The big doofy guy on Denver. Yeah, the big doofy guy who can play his butt off. Man, he he's the best passing big man I've ever seen, hands down. And he again, he's young too. The Denver Nuggets are the future, and they're up against this Trailblazers team, who have so much heart. They become a, a Cinderella fan. Uh, my, they become my my, my team. I, I'm rooting. I'm openly rooting for the Trailblazers to win in the Western Conference. Uh, I love Damian Lillard. I think Lillard has had a, a, is almost a playoff MVP right now. Uh, him and Kawhi are the two the two big stars that are jumping out at everybody. And then we have CJ on that team as well. Uh, that backcourt is is dynamic, and they have their hands full against this Denver Nugget team who just won in Game 4 in Portland, um, spoiled Portland's momentum. So now it's 2-2 going back to Denver, and that game will be the night. I wish my podcast was a little bit later so I could have covered that game. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for Portland. Uh, Portland goes down 3-2. It's going to be big. Uh, Denver is not a team you want to go down 3-2. All of that being said, let's talk about the four-overtime game, the one that, you know, just set records. Haven't had that from, I think it was like 1950s, in the 1950s. We haven't had a four-overtime game. Damian Lillard's season closeout of the OKC Thunder was scintillating. One of the best NBA playoff games I've ever seen. I've been watching the playoffs a long time. This last four overtime game just happens to be the Trailblazers again. Was one of the most hard-fought, dramatic games I've ever seen. I didn't think I'd be able to top a playoff game like the Damian Lillard sidestep shot, closeout Thunder game. And this one did it. Four overtimes of grit, back and forth. I didn't count how many times the score changed, but it was a lot. At one point, there was a minute to go, or a minute and, and change to go. The Trailblazers were down five. They come back to tie the game. I mean, it was it was just shot after shot. And the Blazers hanging in, the, the Nuggets hanging in, and then that Rodney Hood uh, fake... Three, where he where he nailed that three. That was a tremendous shot in the game. There was a bunch of tremendous shots by CJ, by Damian, but that Rodney Hood three stood out. You couldn't ask for more drama. I mean, this series has it all. This is better than a Netflix special right now. This has it all. Cantor, let's give Cantor credit for playing almost the whole entire game in this one. Remember, four OTs is a ton. It's just a ton of time. Big man like that to hang in the game. And Djokovic, the Joker, still can't pronounce his name. 
mean, give these guys some credit. A big play that stood out in my mind was when the Blazers were trying to come back and CJ is picking up uh, Jamal Murray, I believe it was, at half court, pressuring him on defense. You know, D up, as we all believe in this D up podcast. He D'd up Jamal, and that deflection came, and it went off Murray's hands. Now, this Blazer win wouldn't have been possible without that play and, and the advent of instant replay. So, um, credit the refs for getting it right, and credit CJ for that huge defensive play that, that stood out in my mind. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Game 5 is tonight, 10.30, and it's going to be fireworks in Denver. It's hard to play over there because of the air pressure and the, uh, the elevation and everything. Uh, so the Trailblazers are going to have it very hard in terms of the pressure, and that building is raucous. Uh, we'll see if Damien puts on his Superman cape and CJ puts on his Batman cape, and they can pull this one out in Denver. So guys, keep it tuned all the time, and I want to thank you for ding it up with me, chatting it up, and you know, we're going to keep this up in the playoffs. And going into the offseason, there's going to be a lot of fireworks. But let's just stay tuned here to D-Up Podcast with Louis Valletta, me. Friend, message me on Instagram, Louis Edward Valletta. That's Louis underscore Edward underscore Valletta. Uh, that's going to be on Facebook as well. Uh, you can follow my Twitter account at Louis Edward 23 I really look forward to talking with you, chatting, conversing, and I want to know your opinions. I I really enjoy seeing what you guys say. So until next week, strap in. The playoffs are waiting. Enjoy. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network. Network's Wagering Week, help your bottom line.